Our call to worship is found in Psalm 98, verses 4 through 9. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Let's pray. Lord, we do come before you this morning in full acknowledgement of who you are. You are righteous and holy and faithful and the judge. And so, Lord, this morning, we bring ourselves to you and we offer our praises and our worship, knowing that you are worthy of uh, such things. And so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would have freedom to move in this place, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that we might obey your word, that we might be faithful followers of you. And so, Lord, this morning we commit ourselves and our time together in your name. Amen. All right, if you brought your scriptures this morning, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Well, I, I hope that many of you got into your um, one year of Bible reading this past week with um, the schedule that was printed in your bulletin. And for those of you that have the books, I, I, pardon me, but I didn't think the homework was all that, that um, onerous or exhausting. Uh, and it'll, it'll be good. Uh, I think it'll be a good, a good trip, a good journey for us. By the way, um, just, just for your interest's sake, uh, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon, uh, it's our sister church, and they went through this whole program. They just finished up with the, with the year of Bible reading. And I spoke to one of their pastors this past week, 
And he said, today, uh, they're having their celebration, their wrap-up service for this whole year of Bible reading. They normally have two services. I think their facility holds around uh, 300 or 400 some odd people, and they're cramming uh, both two services into one this morning. Uh, it's happening right now as we are, are speaking. He says, we're, we're cramming everybody into our facility and we're having testimonies and baptisms, and, and it's going to be a great morning as they celebrate um, this whole year uh, of Bible reading. But so what will happen during this year is, is that I will be speaking on the passages that you have been reading in this past week. I will, I will take a blurb out of one of those passages, and that will be my sermon material. And so you will come to church knowing more than what I do, maybe, and, and if I do something wrong, you can correct me. That's really cool, isn't it, instead of me springing stuff on you. So I'm going to take you back to one of the passages that you read this week, and uh, that is in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to talk about temptation and, and the path that temptation takes. With this in mind, we've all been there. We've all been tempted. We've all failed at one point or another, but I think understanding this process a little bit more will help us deal with it. And I know what I'm going to say is grammatically incorrect, but understanding this process will help us deal with temptation more better down the road. Um, so, Genesis chapter 3, and let's begin to read there. We'll just read through the first little bit of that story. The Bible says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate.
One of the temptations in facing temptation is the temptation to just give up or give in. And we ask ourselves, what's the use? I just keep failing anyway, so I may as well not bother trying to resist anymore. The good news is that before we fail, there's always a way out. And the, the verse, rather, that was on the screen this morning said that there's always a way out. God always provides a way out. But if we do fail, we have help. And there's a remedy that's available. For second, or 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate. We have someone who speaks on our behalf, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And his defense of us is that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then there's that verse that I use so often when we have communion. We used it last week. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we understand, the reality is that we're all tempted, we've all failed, we will probably fail at some point in the future, but if we understand this process or this path, I think it will help us to defend against temptation more effectively. Now, where does temptation start? One of the realities that, that we don't like and people don't like, and I think uh, it's, it's one of the generational things that is happening right now, but one of the realities of life that people don't like is that there are absolutes. There is something that is right. There is something that is wrong. And I know there are gray areas, but there are absolutes. And, and whether we like it or not, God gives us absolutes in Scripture. He says, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You can't go beyond that. And, and we may argue and say, well, you know, I don't think that that should be wrong, or I don't think that that should be right. But the reality is that there are absolutes. Whether we like it or not, there are absolutes. The, the Scripture is full of those things. And it, the battle today is not so much over the inspiration of the Bible, but the battle is over the authority of the Bible. Now, we as people have really messed that up sometimes. What we've done is we've taken the Bible and we've added to it, and, and you wind up with the Pharisees who made all these extra rules that aren't in the Scripture, and, and conservative Christianity even today is guilty of making up all these extra rules. Like one of the rules that I was subject to was not being able to ride my bicycle on Sundays. Like where do you find that in the Scripture? And so we've added to that. And that, that isn't in Scripture, but Scripture does contain absolute. And the trouble is that most of the messing up that we did was truly well-intentioned. And so when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave Adam and Eve some absolutes. This is what you're allowed to do. This is what you are not allowed to do. So God said in chapter 2, if you're still in, in your Bibles there, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, says there that uh, the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Now, there were two trees in the middle of the garden that were special trees. One was the, the tree of life, and the other one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were free to eat from the tree of life. 
It's what allowed them to live forever. And the tree of life disappears from the pages of Scripture. And and in the last part of chapter 3, God said, we don't want people to have access to the tree of life because then they'll live forever. And so it disappears from Scripture until you get to the last chapter in Revelation. It's there again. And in this new creation, we will be able to eat from that tree of life. But anyway, God said to Adam, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God established an absolute. He said, you're free to eat here. You have all kinds of freedom here, but don't go there. God said... And so here's the battle gets started in chapter 3, verse 1. And a serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? And so it starts with questioning the absolute that God has established. God says, here's the absolute. So the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say that? And he starts questioning her. And Eve says, yeah, that's what God did say. And she added the part about not touching it. Now, I don't know whether God said that or not. We don't have that recorded. But but Eve said, we're not allowed to eat from it, and we're not allowed to touch it, or we're going to die. And then Satan says, well, God was wrong because you're not going to die. In fact, God wanted that whole thing to himself about the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve didn't have all of Scripture like we had. They had none of it, but they had the presence of God, and they had God himself. And so God had said to them, here's what you can do. Satan asked them, did God really say that? Well, yeah, he did, and then God said that we were going to die. Well, God didn't mean what he said, Satan says. See, God was wrong. And so they start to question what God has said, and it leads them down this path toward Uh, succumbing to temptation. Now, there's a danger when we get to know God's Word, we become responsible to live up to it. But ignorance is still no excuse. And one of the, the, you know, maybe it's something that's threatening for you. When you start reading God's Word, um, you know, you're scared that you might learn something and God might ask you to do something that you don't want to do. It's something that scares us. But on the other hand, when you do know God's Word, it will comfort you as well, and it will help us recognize and deal with temptation and give us a means to deal with it, and I'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Now, where does temptation come from? Well, number one, it doesn't come from God. James 1 verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, God will allow temptation in our lives, but God does not put temptation in our lives. One of the sources of temptation is our own sinful nature or the flesh. Verse 14 in James 1 says, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And one of the realities, one of the the consequences of Adam and Eve falling to temptation in the Garden of Eden was the fact that you and I are born with something called a sinful nature, that we we have this, this, this inner thing in ourselves, this bentness, this twistedness, 
that, that drives us towards sin. We have this, this natural, it's like a moth being drawn to a flame. We have this natural attraction to that which is wrong. It's just part of being human. All of us have it. Nobody had to teach you to lie. Nobody had to teach you to steal. Nobody had to teach you to cheat. Nobody had to teach you to do all those things. It's part of what we're born with. It's part of being human. Then there's the world in which we live. We look around us and, and we see and, and the world has totally value, different values than we do. For instance, the bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys dies. You're still dead. He who dies and goes to heaven wins. He who dies with the most toys can still go to hell. So, but, but there's this world, and the world says that if I'm to be a somebody, then I have to have, you know, I have to use the right shampoo, I have to wear the right clothes, I have to drive the right vehicle, I have to drink the right beer, I have to, to have the right girlfriend, and, and all the rest of this kind of stuff, and, and, and that makes me a winner, that makes me to be somebody. And then there's the devil who came to Eve and said, did God really say this? So, for sources of temptation, we have our sinful nature, we have the world, and we have the devil. Not everything comes from the devil. You can't blame him for everything. Some of it comes from within us. Some of it comes from outside of us, the world in which we live. And some of it comes from the enemy. Not all of it comes from the enemy. Sometimes we don't give him enough credit. Sometimes we give him too much credit. So what happens? How does it start? If you look in your Bibles, here's how the, how the process works. So Adam and Eve, or Satan and Eve rather, had this conversation. And here's the thing. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, and it was good for three things. It was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So she stood there and looked at it. Now, you can't help seeing stuff. But she stood there and looked at it, and she thought about it. She saw it was good for food, it was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for gaining wisdom. And then the Bible says, she took some of the fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband. And here's the way this works. The process or the progress of temptation, it starts by looking. And then it goes on to thinking. And then it goes on to doing. In Joshua chapter 7, there's a story, and, and you may want to turn there with me for just a few moments. In Joshua chapter 7, there's the story of the Israelites taking the city of Jericho. It was the first city that they took when they walked into the Promised Land. You remember the story how they circled the city of seven days for, for six days, and on the seventh day they circled it seven times. They shouted, the walls went in, and um, they, or the walls fell down, rather, 
and they went in and they took the city. Now the city had been placed under what the Bible calls the ban. And God said, you are not allowed to take any of the loot from that city. That city is devoted to me, and it's all going to be burned. You're going to take the city, but you can't have any of the stuff. Well, somebody took stuff. Somebody stole from that city, stole what was God's in the first place. God said, everything that's in that city is mine, and it is to be totally and completely destroyed so that no human being will ever take it. There was a man by the name of Achan who stole stuff. And here's how he explained it. In in chapter 20, or pardon me, chapter 7 and verse 20, I'm sorry. And again, here's how temptation works. Achan replied, it is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And here's how it went. He said, I saw, I coveted, and I took. David, with one of his mighty men's wives, He saw, he coveted, and he took. Eve, she saw, she saw it was desirable, she wanted it, she took, she ate, and she involved her husband. Now, go back to to, to Genesis 3 and look at what happened. Here's what we often do when we fall into temptation or when we fall into sin. It's a process called blame shifting. We tend to minimize what we have done by shifting the blame to other people. So God says to Adam, what's this you have done? Who told you you were naked? So Adam says, rather than manning up and saying, I blew it, he says these words. He says, the woman, okay? So it was her fault. The woman, you gave me. So it's your fault, God, that I sinned. Okay, you gave me the woman. She led me down the wrong path, and and it's her fault that I did this. And God says to to Eve, what have you done? Well, it's the serpent deceived me, and, and we shift blame. We always tend to do that. We shift blame. Whenever we get caught doing something, whenever we fall into sin, we shift blame. It's my parents. It's the way my parents potty trained me. It's my circumstances. I was sick. I was stressed. I was lonely. I was broke. I was hungry. I was bored. I was drunk. I was high. I was in a hurry. I couldn't help it. I needed it. My wife or my husband doesn't don't love me. Or my siblings aren't aren't nice to me. Or my child is rotten. Or my friend told me to do it. Or my enemy bugged me. You know, one of the one of the coolest excuses in the Bible. Remember that story in in the Old Testament where where Moses went up on the mountain and he was there 40 days and 40 nights and he came back down and and people were, were, were having this wild drunken party around this golden calf and he says to his brother Aaron, here's the whopper, he says to Aaron, what have you done? Well, Aaron says, it's not my fault. All I did was I threw this gold into the fire and out popped this calf. 
Not my fault. We always find an excuse. We shift the blame. Here are the top 10 excuses for speeding. Um, listen to this one. Uh, number 10, my GPS said it was the right thing to do. Number nine, I was on my way to an emergency. Number eight, I didn't do anything dangerous. Not my fault. Number seven, I had to go to the bathroom. Number six, I missed my turn or my exit. Uh, number five, I'm having an emergency situation in my car. Number four, everybody else is doing it. Number three, I didn't know I broke the speed limit. Yep. Uh, number two, I'm lost and unfamiliar with the road. <laughs> That's why I'm going fast. And the number one reason, one number one excuse for speeding, I couldn't see the sign telling me not to do it. <laughs> we, we, we shift blame. We do that. Because, you see, when you shift blame, then it's not my fault, then it's somebody else's fault, and, and surely if you understand that it's not my fault, then you will excuse me, right? You know, like, like you know, it's my parents, they, they mistreated me. Now, the, the reality is that some of those circumstances explain the things that I was doing. God blessed me with this wonderful little thing called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We didn't know what it was until I was well into adulthood, but I was just a rotten kid. You know, and, and I got into a lot of trouble and, and I frustrated a lot of people. And we finally figured out what it was and, and got a diagnosis and, and, and all the rest of this kind of stuff. Now, it explains what I do. It doesn't excuse it. Do you get the difference? You know, the, there are things in my background that may explain what I do, but they don't excuse it. I have to man up and say, listen, I messed up. I'm the one who was responsible. And I think so often when it comes to temptation, we fall into temptation and we try and minimize the consequences. But here's a good example. And it's a curious thing. When Moses was talking to Achan, this guy that stole the stuff, in Joshua 7 verse 19, Anson, if we can whip that up there somewhere, we read these words, then, or jo Joshua rather. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Now, how is Achan supposed to give glory to God by fessing up? And I think sometimes you and I go to God and we say, well, God, I messed up, but. And, and we try and explain this thing away. There comes a point, you know, if we confess our sins to the Lord, to, we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the point where you stand up and say, Lord, I messed up. I can't blame it on anybody else, but I'm the one who messed up. And so Achan says, yeah, he said, when I saw this thing, I coveted it and I took it. And then he accepted the consequences. He was, I mean, there was a horrible fate for him and his family and people that were associated with him. But he said, I'm the one who messed up. Give glory to God by, by acknowledging that what I have done is wrong. You stand up and you say, Lord, I'm the one who messed up. I can't excuse it. I can't minimize it. 
But he saw, he coveted, and he took, and then he took the consequences. So how do you deal with it? Well, when you read in the New Testament, you know that in Ephesians 6, we're told about the armor of light, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, uh, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our only, though those are all things that will stop the fiery darts of Satan coming at us, but our only, our only offensive weapon is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon we have. Ephesians 6 calls it the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for, for the word of the Lord is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. It is our offensive weapon. It is the only recourse, the only resource that we have that will work. God always provides a way out. There's, there's no doubt about that and we need to take that. But we have an offensive weapon, and that offensive weapon is the Word of God. If you go to Matthew chapter 4, the passage that Lindsay read for us, here's the example of it. The Bible says that, that Satan came to Jesus to test him. And he used logic, and he used the Word of God to test Jesus. He tried to outreason him. He said to Jesus, uh, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're really a somebody, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus used the word of God against him. He said, it is written, it is written, and that's where we need to go. That's why we're reading through the Bible this year, so that we can say, it is written. And Jesus quoted, man does not live on bread, live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the high place and had him stand there, and he quoted Scripture to Jesus. Satan knows Scripture probably better than you and I do. And he said to Jesus, uh, throw yourself down, for it is written. <laughs> he said, well, if you can say it's written, so can I. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, and he could because it was his to give. He said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There really are absolutes in the Bible. But one of the realities of temptation is that I enjoy temptation. So do you. Because if you didn't enjoy it, you wouldn't be tempted, right? We like to play with it. Just for a little while. If I can just play with it, how close can I drive to the edge of the road without going into the ditch? And we like to play with it for a little while. How do you deal with it? Well, number one, you need to know God's Word. You need to use that which you know. And part of that comes through reading. Part of that comes through doing exactly what we are doing. It's a learning process. There is an escape clause. God says there's no temptation or no testing you has taken you, but such as 
as is common to man, and, and God will provide with the temptation, there will also be a way of escape. We don't want to use that way of escape because I just want to play with the temptation for a little while. You know, I saw, I just want to covet for a while and maybe just have a teeny little taste without going over the edge. But there's another escape clause, and you find it in the Lord's Prayer, where it says, and lead us not into temptation. I don't know if you ever pray that, but there are times that I walk into a situation or I'm faced with a situation where I know that I will be tempted. I know there will be something put in front of me um, in some way or another that will tempt me. And if I, if I know that's where I'm going, if I know that's what I'm doing, I will say, Lord, I will pray that prayer and lead me not into temptation. Lord, give me the strength to resist that temptation, to resist the devil, and, and to run away from temptation. So there's that. But then I have the word of the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is my offensive weapon. I don't need to stand there and take it all from Satan. Here's, a, here's just a little illustration. Many years ago, a couple of the guys from this church and I were on a motorcycle trip, and we were camped up high in the mountains of Colorado, and there were a bunch of strange people in that campsite. And there was some weird stuff going on, chanting and symbols and, and whatever all else. And it was creeping us out. And I said to the guys, guys, we don't need to put up with this. We can pray against it. And so the three of us got into a huddle. And we prayed against this thing, and we said, God, if this isn't from you, if this is something that is from the enemy, if this isn't from you, put a stop to it. And it quit. Just like that. Many years ago, Kathy and I spent a summer in a village And there was tremendous alcoholism in that village. And I thought in my, my you know, my, my, all of my wisdom of my early 30s, I thought, you know what? I've been to Bible college for two years. I should be able to outlogic a drunk. I couldn't. I couldn't. The only thing that would stop the reasoning was the Word of God. The only thing that would stop the reasoning, the only thing that would put an end to all the logic was the Word of God. You know, and, and I, I, I know a lot more now, 30 some odd years later, than I knew back then, but I used the little bit that I had. And it stopped the logic in its tracks. You and I don't have to succumb to temptation. We will. You'll always be tempted. And the reason you're tempted is because it's something that you like, something that you're used to doing, whether it's gossip, whether it's, it's, it's stealing, whether it's whatever. You will always 
be tempted, but you don't have to go there. Because there's always a way out, and there's always the Word of God to help us. And so, as we journey through the Scripture this coming year, for those of you that aren't part of it, let me encourage you to get into it. What's the worst thing that can happen to you? You're going to get to know God better, and you're going to get to know His Word better. I mean, you know, is that something bad that you need to be afraid of? I don't think so. But we don't have to succumb to temptation. There are absolutes, and we need to know them. And we can use the Word of God. We can use it against all three enemies, whether it's our sinful nature, whether it's the world around us, or whether it's the devil. And I trust that God will give us the wisdom and the resources and the courage to use His Word. It's scary sometimes. Yeah, it is. And it's costly sometimes. It is. But you know, when we do it, we know that what we're doing the right thing is, and there is a a great reward in living out God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we do not have to be defeated. But Lord, we are. We succumb. And when we do sin, we have an advocate with you, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord, that when we do fail, that we can confess our sins and that there is grace there and there's, there's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, Father, give us the strength. Give us, Father, the resources. Well, you have given us the resources in your word to stand up against temptation and to not succumb, Lord. Help us to make the tough decisions. Help us to use the word of God and to be victorious in our struggle with our own sinful nature, the world, and with the devil. Thank you for defeating all of those, and we look forward to the glorious victory that we will have in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for coming. Have a great and triumphant week, and uh, keep reading your Bible and doing those studies.